Welcome to the Let the Stray Show, your one-stop destination for intriguing conversations with extraordinary individuals who are boldly navigating life outside the conventional norms. Our host, Scott Fullerton, is thrilled to embark on this journey of discovery with all of you. The Left a Straight Show, we believe that every person's story is unique, and it's our mission to showcase the diversity of human experiences. We bring you the untold stories of fascinating people who identify as LGBT plus and allies, pushing boundaries, breaking stereotypes, and making a positive impact in our communities. On this show, we bring you a diverse lineup of inspiring guests, from activists to artists, and entrepreneurs to entertainers, and everything in between. We dive deep into their personal journeys, discovering the pivotal moment that has shaped their lives and careers. You can expect thought-provoking discussions on a wide range of topics, from LGBTQ rights, social justice to arts, culture, mental health, and more. Our guests are change makers who share their insights, challenges, and triumphs, igniting conversation that promotes empathy, understanding, and love. So whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or an ally looking to expand your knowledge and show your support, the Left to Straight show is for you. Together, we can build bridges of understanding and acceptance, celebrating the beauty of what makes us all unique. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for the show. Welcome back to the Left of Straight Show, where we talk all things entertainment, foodies, books, and music by and about our LGBTQ community and our straight allies. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, as always, and today I had the immense pleasure of introducing a rising star in the comedy world. As you know, I like me my social media scrolling, and Mikey Montemayor caught my eye with his funny take on his so-called gay life from his family to his heritage to current events, nothing is off limits. He's not only funny on stage, but he's a writer as well, engaged to the love of his life, and not afraid to post the occasional thirst trap online, which I don't mind at all. He's here to share his journey and his passions, and hopefully a few laughs with us today. So please welcome to the Leftist Trade Show for the very first time, the handsome and hilarious Mr. Mikey Montemayor. Mikey, how are we doing? Good. Hi. Thanks for having me, Scott. My pleasure, my friend. Like I said, I am a social media troll. I like trying to find different things. And you have been blowing up, I mean, hundreds of thousands of uh, YouTube views on your dad's post, which we'll show yeah. in a bit, and tens of thousands of other things. So it's a pleasure to see you in person. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, all left of straight show virgins, I always ask two questions to start off with. First question is, tell me about where you grew up and what kind of kid were you? Were you always kind of into the writing and comedy? Uh, so I grew up just uh, east of L.A., um, native to Southern California. So uh, my family, uh, I come from a big like Mexican family. So my mom was born and raised in Mexico. My dad, as you know from some of my comedy, he uh, was an undercover cop working in like downtown when I was a kid. Uh, so he used to actually like go into gangs dressed as like, he's also Mexican. So he'd go into gangs dressed like a Mexican trollo and deal crystal meth and Coke for a living uh, when I was a kid. So growing up, he was a pretty big disciplinarian. So my brother and I, who my brother is also gay, we were very well behaved. <laughs> so I feel like as a kid, I was very 
shy and quiet and um I don't feel like I really, you know, started to figure out my voice, uh, especially in the world of comedy until I was really in my 20s and in college. Gotcha. And then second question I always ask, you're out and open part of our LGBTQ community. You talk about it on stage. When did you first come out to yourself? Who was the first person you told? And when do you feel you kind of finally found your LGBTQ tribe? Yeah, so uh, I dated a lot of women, actually, throughout high school and college. So uh, I didn't actually come out until uh, I graduated college in 2014 and moved to Los Angeles. And uh, I was always kind of curious and decided to like go on dating apps. And I went on a date with uh, my first date with my friend. His name was Mason. And uh, that was almost... 10 years ago. And uh, now he's going to be one of the best men at my wedding. So we're still really close friends. But um, starting to just kind of like go out in like living alone in Los Angeles. Um, I don't know, it kind of gave me the freedom to start to uh, experiment and realize like this was a side of myself that I had never that even though other people might have always assumed like, oh, Mikey's gay, like, um, we can like see that in him. I didn't yet see it in myself. So it, it was kind of like, there's always like that process of kind of coming out to yourself and realizing in your own experience and time uh, that this is who I am. Uh, and I, my friends were all very accepting. I think one of the first people I told was my mother. And I remember I told her that I had a boyfriend and the first thing that she said was, what are you guys doing this weekend? Like it was just naturally part of um, our new normal together of just like okay like instantly like except like no follow-up questions <laughs> i love that mom is an ally for sure so yeah. cool now you say you grew up east of la whereabouts i grew up in west covina california so i'm a little bit of east of la not too far where were you at oh my dad was actually and my mom that's where they uh grew up in west covina in baldwin park very cool very yeah. first in and out baldwin park you gotta yeah. love it mm -hmm. in <laughs> there. Yeah, and then I was born and raised in Rancho Cucamonga, just like 30 minutes from there. There you go. Upland Airport is my friend, uh, Ontario Airport. <laughs> nice, that's very cool. Well, I'm excited to talk about this. Before we get into the comedy and your writing, and we talked about you being out, talk about you've been engaged for a while. I saw the pictures of this beachside proposal, like amazing. Talk about EJ, brag on him about and your, your relationship a bit. Yeah, so uh, my fiance, Estevan, we've been together now about four years. And it was a really interesting like start of our relationship because we started dating in 2019. And uh, when the pandemic happened, I was working with a writing mentor of mine. And she actually had me move into her house and help her. Uh, we were working on a movie at the time while I was also helping her raise her children with her and her husband. So um, I became like quarantined off. So uh, my now fiance and I were in like a long distance relationship from like three miles away. And so for like six months, we would like date by, you know, having social distanced um, dates in the backyard of their house. And I feel like that kind of process really like slowed down um, and helped us to like get to know each other more and kind of like if we can go through this, 
we couldn't kind of get through anything. Cause then after that, we just moved in together and just kind of like jumped right in. Uh, and I feel like having that time where it was just he and I like kind of building our apartment here and our lives together, it made us, you know, really value each other and become like best friends. And that's kind of like the core is like, you know, um, we play video games together all the time and just like laugh and have fun together. And that's always just like what I value the most out of us is, um, and we're also so opposites because he's in politics and does crisis communications and he's very like logical and serious and his work is very like intense. Like he does campaign managing. He's working for the, he's a chief of staff right now for this county supervisor in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, I tell jokes for a living and write movies and live in like my own fantasy world. So I feel like we really balance each other out well because he has no stake in the game of entertainment other than wanting me to be happy. So I think that's really like been an incredible like core foundation for our relationship. That's amazing. I love that. And that's the way the pandemic did. It either drove you apart or brought you together. And I think that yeah. was kind of, I like the way you put that. Now talk about this engagement. Like I said, it looked like it was on the beach somewhere. Oh yeah. Saying, huh, he surprised me because we have a friend who actually does like these beach setups. So uh, it was my 30th birthday and it was a big day because on my 30th birthday, this movie that I had written was also coming out in theaters. So he like did this little beach setup. So I was just like, okay, I have this movie coming out. It's my 30th birthday. We went down to the beach and I just thought it was like a birthday picnic and he gets down on one knee. And like right then and there, I completely like blacked out. I don't really remember what he was saying. I just remember seeing all the photos afterwards with my mouth open. I can start to tell like in the distance there was a photographer. So I was just like, okay, sit up straight. This, this is happening. Your photo's getting taken he's talking and then he kind of like grabbed my face and just kind of like looked at me and being like you gotta answer because i was already <laughs> i'd already like slipped the ring on and i didn't even realize and i was looking at that and i was just like he's just like you haven't said yes yet and i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious oh my gosh all this prepare, preparation on his part. It's like, can I know yes or no, please? Oh, That's yeah. awesome. Well, and we had discussed getting engaged before because he always wanted like a really big wedding. I never really cared too much about, like I never had really thoughts about our wedding. He's been planning his dream wedding since he was a child. Like he's had been one of those like kids who had like a binder of like what he wanted it to look like. <laughs> so I told him, um, all I really want out of the engagement was to have nice photos, to be presentable, um, for him to propose to me and for him to say nice things to me. <laughs> so I'm like, if you do any of like those four prerequisites, you can have whatever wedding you want. So he really nice. went <laughs> You maybe don't remember the nice things he said to you, but it sounds like you got at least three out of four. Oh I'm yeah. Sure you got the <laughs> now what kind of, I mean, like you said, it's such an opposite um, politics and this, what ground rules do you have for your comedy? Is there any things that you're not allowed to talk about that you hear come up in his everyday conversations? Uh, you know, he he and I have discussed it and I do run a lot of jokes past him just as like a sounding board because he's also very much like straight face. If I can make him chuckle, I know it's actually like an audience will laugh. Uh, but we yes. really don't have any ground rules. I think what's always helped me is... um 
before doing stand-up, I've been a comedy writer for the past like 15 years. I went to school, studied screenwriting, and so I've been doing this for a long time. And I feel like in that time, I've learned how to tell jokes in ways where you're never like punching down and where it always comes from. For me, my like philosophy is it always has to come from a place of truth whether or not like I'm exaggerating for a joke, like the sentiment behind it always comes from a truthful place. So if I stick to that, I feel like, um, and because I stick to that, I feel like there's no one in my family or him in particular who have ever been offended by anything I joke about. Uh, he also just knows me very well and knows that like, I kind of say whatever I want at all <laughs> times in front of all of our friends too. So, um, <laughs> The only times we get in arguments is when he's like, um, the joke was funny. He's he, like, sometimes he'll be like, oh, something like the joke was funnier than my feelings at the time. So he's just like, oh, you just, I'm just one big joke to you. So I have to like, there's a time and place. But um, if that time is when I'm up on stage for an actual performance, he's just like, okay, you can do it there, but not at dinner. <laughs> there you go. Well, and we're going to show your clips in a little bit because you're very self-depreciating and you do make yourself a big part of the joke and not kind of offended. It's one of the things I liked about your comedy. Um, and talk about, you kind of hinted on in your writing. I looked into this and you work with Dana Fox, kind of trained with her. You worked on a couple of big movies and everything. Talk about screenwriting. What's the difference between that and kind of setting up your jokes? Is there a big difference? Not much of a difference? And tell me about your time as a screenwriter. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. So. Um... I went to Princeton and got an English degree and screenwriting degree. So I've been writing since I was 19. And that was kind of always just like my goal was like screenwriter. So when I came to LA, the first um, writer's assistant job I got was working for this writer named Dana Fox. And she had just gotten the job to rewrite the Cruella live action movie with Emma Stone. So I worked with her on that for about a year. And as a writer's assistant on a feature, it's interesting because you're kind of like, we had an office at Disney, we would go there and work with all the producers and director and um, really just like find to go through the script over and over. Like sometimes I remember my first day at Disney, we spent 10 hours going through like 10 pages of the script, um, just like rewriting it over and over and over again. And uh, the biggest thing that Dana taught me is just like how to be a working writer and how to take notes and how to never take anything personally. And because it's like a long process um, and you're constantly getting in feedback. Uh, so to be able to really like diligently like work with other people and um, and really do the notes part of it. So with her, I worked on about like probably like 10 different studio movies. She does a lot of uncredited rewrites on things. So we bounced around a lot. And my first like big break was in 2020. Um, I got a job alongside of her hired by Paramount to uh, rewrite a movie for Sandra Bullock. So uh, we've spent around a year writing The Lost City um, with her and Channing Tatum. And the fun part about that one was Sandra Bullock was actually a producer of it. So throughout the entire pandemic, it was um, Dana, I, Dana and I talking with Sandra about all of her notes. And what was so fun about that is the lady's been doing comedy for 30, almost 40 years. So she knows herself. She knows what she can do. And like we would write 
certain um, scenes and every scene she would always be like, what am I wearing? What am I holding? And like, like, what's the point? Like, what am I? And she's so big on like the physical parts of it that like, once you kind of get her voice, you can really just like, a lot of the times we would just let her riff and just kind of write down what she would say because it was so naturally funny. And then just put that into the script and she would just do those things or she would tell us stories and it's just kind of like transcribing in fun ways what she's kind of like doing. Um, and I feel like that experience really helped inform my standup too, because um, I realized about standup is, you know, it's so quick and to the point, you have to really just get it like, premise, punch, premise, setup, punchline, and like go. And you had to get people laughing within 15 seconds or else you're losing them. And um, I think that experience of working on all these comedy movies that just made it very clear for me through the writing process of like, if it's not funny on paper, it's going to be harder to sell. So I really just try to make sure that all of my jokes can come from that place of being clever and witty on paper. And then something that I could perform naturally and naturally say. That's fantastic. I was going to ask you if you had a chance to work with Sandra just because I saw she was producer on that. And so that's kind of very cool. I love yeah. that you can kind of learn from people like that. I mean, she's definitely, like you said, one of the funniest. I mean, congeniality was good. I liked her Ryan Reynolds and Betty White flick, whatever. I forget what it's called. Oh, yeah, but that the was, proposal. Yeah, the proposal. That was hilarious. Yeah. Um, now, we have the writer strike, of course, going on right now and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Talk about what your goals are. Do you do you still plan on staying in the writing realm? Are you really enjoying the stand-up? Because that's kind of free and clear from this from the writing strike. So what are you what's your concentration these days? Yeah, so uh I still have a lot of writing projects. Um I recently just had a movie set up. I I wrote a movie called My Mexican Mother, all about my mom and the process of my fiance and I getting married. And Eva Longoria just signed on to be the director. So right before the strike, um, her company took on the projects. So I've been working with her and um, we were looking to try to get that set up um, sometime post-strike. So it's kind of just been like a waiting game because I also have another gay rom-com that I co-wrote with Dana that um, Bowen Yang is attached to play a wedding planner. And it's a really fun idea and concept. And um, with all of these projects though, uh, film just goes so slow. Like I, you know, we worked on The Lost City in 2020 and it didn't come out for two years. I worked with Dana on Cruella in 2016 and that didn't come out till 2021. Uh, right. So it's like, it's a really long process. So for me, stand-up um it's something that i always wanted to do and something that i had always worked i've spent years working on material and stuff but never really found myself with the time to really go out there and just like perform because i was so inundated with all my writing projects so with the writer's strike stalling um stalling up all of my like movie projects and tv stuff it's really been freeing to lean into stand-up and have that as an outlet um because the biggest thing I learned from the writer's strike is that if writing as a profession was taken away from me, I would still write because I just enjoy it. And it helps me to not be depressed. And so for me, like when I'm not writing is when I'm my saddest. So when the writer's strike first started, I was really like bummed out about it. But I was just like, no, I got to find a way to be proactive and using this time to um, lean into writing a ton of stand-up material has been so freeing and invigorating too because i it's finally 
work that I can share with people, especially on social media, which has really surprised me how much um, uh, I've been able to, you know, engage with other people and that like, I can see that, oh, the work actually is being like viewed and people enjoy it. And it resonates with people in a sense, because I've really never been able to do that with my screenwriting projects. Very, it's so nice when you kind of find different things out about yourself and just that writing to have in your back pocket there uh, is, is kind of fantastic. I love all of that. Well, let's kind of transition into the comedy. Um, you talked about your social media, which is how I found you. Um, I took the liberty of stringing a couple of clips together and uh, let's go ahead and show that to everybody. Then we'll come back and talk about on the other side. Okay. Yeah, great. Hi guys. My guest today is Mikey Montemayor, and these are some of his fantastic clips that I found on TikTok. We're going to talk to him on the other side. Let's say the Left of Straight show right here in the Left of Straight radio network. I'm a gay Mexican, which means I'm a fan of both sausage and chorizo. <laughs> when I tell the gays that I'm Mexican, they typically don't believe me because sunscreen. <laughs> And when I tell the Mexicans that I'm gay, they typically don't want to believe me because Catholicism. Hello. <laughs> uh, anyway. oh, do you guys like how gay my shorts are? Thanks. I wore this outfit to an open mic uh, last week and someone told me it looks like I left the conversion camp halfway through. Yeah, they made me straight from my haircut down to my waist and then I just skipped on home. Undercover cop when I was a kid, so uh, I could never get anything past him, except for the fact that I was gay. <laughs> yeah. A man could spot a criminal in a crowd like Where's Waldo, but spotting the homo in his home, though? Oh, no. I came out to him when I was 24. Uh, yeah, everyone else in the family already knew because they all had working eyes. Uh, he uh, told me when I came out to him that he felt like he had been trained for this moment because on the police force, there was a lesbian that he worked with. And like all jobs should, they trained them on how to interact with lesbians. I found out I was gay from her security cameras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, one time, uh, my dad and my stepmom, they went out of town. So I invited my writing partner named Jonathan over so we can work on a screenplay in their hot tub. <laughs> and no one told me that they had just gotten new security cameras outside. So at 1 a.m., my stepmom gets a notification on her phone and sees footage of me and my writing partner in the jacuzzi banging out some dialogue. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of vowels. Silver lining though, the footage was pretty grainy, so they couldn't tell that I was the one bottoming. <laughs> the court ruled that you can uh, refuse service to people for being homosexuals, which frankly I found to be a huge relief because all of these years I've been servicing every homosexual I meet. <laughs> uh, yeah. My dad likes to think that that joke is just a joke. <laughs> Alrighty, guys, we are back. That was my special guest today, Mr. Mikey Montemayor. Mikey, love that stuff. As we talked about before, we kind of 
went through some of your stuff. Very self-depreciating. I love how you incorporate your family in this. Talk about your style. Um, is it mostly from personal experience or do you kind of like observational humor too? What kind of comes to you when you do your writing primarily? Uh, I feel like with my writing, I really try to uh, base everything in truth and honesty. I've done some writing about, you know, my parents in the more like talking about them in like the proverbial stereotypical sense of like, you know, writers kind of or comedians kind of set that up and it just doesn't feel as authentic. Uh, so I always just try to do everything coming from a place of honesty. And a lot of the times when I come up with material, I'll just start writing kind of like stories about like how I grew up and what I remember and um, find punchlines along the way. So it's more so about just, you know, finding the compelling story and then finding a way to just like make it funny every turn. And I really try to lean into like my brand of comedy and my personality is always very like sarcastic. So I kind of find like, I always try to put like my spin and perspective on a joke where like I'll say a line and then just be like, okay, what's a way that I can then turn that into adding in gay sarcasm to it <laughs> and just like re rewire it. So it's like me being like exaggerating or like, you know, saying things that like, obviously I don't believe this, but it's like, oh, okay, let's, uh, but like, that's the fun of it. And what made you kind of so brave and dare? I mean, there's a lot of people that will talk about um, the gay part of their life, a lot of comedies that won't. What kind of made you so comfortable with yourself that you were able to kind of bring that out there in your comedy? I think it's that I really hadn't been seeing many uh, gay comedians doing this kind of material. A big influence of mine was always Matteo Lane and watching him on the come up these past couple of years has been such an inspiration how like honestly he talks about being gay and I felt like I really love that and love that um, kind of experience that he has and I kind of um, thought like oh if I'm gonna do this like let me really be honest and be truthful because I found in my experience before working in um, at studios trying to get studios and um, people to take gay characters seriously and to put more representation in that it was so difficult and such an uphill battle and I've written on so many different projects where the gay characters just get filtered down into like straight washed and like kind of pushed aside and finally for me it almost stemmed from a place of frustration of like I don't hear these stories being told so I'm going to go do it myself and right. a lot of the times I'll go to like open mics and it's kind of daunting when it's like 95 percent of the people i see doing stand-up starting out at open mics are straight white guys talking about um you know where like you know the punchline to their jokes is that's gay and it's yeah. like oh that's like not you know and yeah and at first it really made me kind of nervous to be doing what i was doing to be wearing like short shorts and going to these open mics in north hollywood but then i'm like you know because no one's doing this is why i want to continue to do it and finding the like power in that i love that yeah i mean i've had margaret cho on the show like four times i've had justin martindale on a couple times justin you remind me of justin so much because i've followed Justin's career from when he was hitting every 
10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 a.m. at the comedy store, yeah. earning his dues. But so much good on the writing, and he's gone on the podcast, and of course, Margaret wrote her own series. Yeah. You have that combination of the writing background and the comedy. I just see it going so far. What are your kind of goals for yourself? Have you set goals? Yeah, so uh, my big goals have always been to get more established doing my own um, movie projects, writing those that I can then hopefully one day start directing some more and uh, really being able to tell, you know, these kinds of stories on like a bigger level with uh, movies and film uh, and comedy wise, I really, you know, st doing stand up was kind of unexpected for me that it would, you know, be this invigorating and um, this enjoyable that I really just want to continue to perform and find more stages to be able to get up there and do what I do. Uh, and, you know, I've been finding my way and, you know, paying my dues. I was just at the comedy store this past weekend, just, you know, you, you wait out there trying to get your turn to go up on stage. And because uh, uh, there's a lot of voices out there um, trying their best. And it's been really fun finding like a community of other stand up um, comedians who are like have that young energy of, you know, we're hustling, we're out here, I'm going to go to an open, I mean, it's a Tuesday here in LA, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend all night going to open mics and um, really practicing, just trying to get more um, exposure out there. So, you know, I think uh, long term, the goal is just to, you know, keep performing and keep trying to write material that can be seen by um, bigger and bigger audiences. That's so great. And have you stayed primarily in the SoCal area? Have you gone anywhere outside of that yet? Or what's your goals for performing more nationally? Uh, I haven't really considered it, but I've really been just performing more locally. I've been trying to, you know, kind of um, build up my reputation here. I had some plans to go to New York and um, do uh, some work out there as well. So um, I'm excited to start, uh, you know, branching out and, you know, trying out material different places. Um, and, you know, see how it lands outside of <laughs> LA. Because that's the other thing I always try to write my material in a way where I'm like, I, I write it in large parts for other um, gay, queer audiences, but right. finding a way to tell my experience that straight people can laugh at the jokes too. I feel like that's, you know, the way you, you know, really help the most is by um, having your comedy and art be accessible to all audiences. So um, that would be something I'm really interested in in the next coming years. That would be fantastic. And then you're so right. I mean, I had comedian Steve Zakari on a couple of months back and like he does New York and he does LA and it is kind of, you got to find that balance. So it's not just regional, but it's a little more universal to everyone. So you got, you got to have that, put that work in to really bring it on the road like that. Yeah. What core comedians do you kind of look up to right now besides Mateo? Uh, I always looked up to John Mulaney since like the start of his career. I remember when he was coming up and one thing I really was a big influence of mine with his work is, um, how honest he is. Like he, like his last special talking about drug abuse and, uh, uh, sobriety was very eye opening. but, uh, it was one of those things that like, you know, 
seeing him be so honest and find a funny way to tell those stories really made me um, want to lean into what I do even more because I struggled with, I've been going sober now. I've been struggling with like, you know, alcohol for a while and it's been a private thing that I've been working on. It's just like not drinking and the standup has actually really helped because I don't feel like I can do standup if I was drinking, especially in the ways that I was drinking before because um, my mind's just not sharp and it was just like constant anxiety. Uh, but that's all gone away with um, sobriety. And I've been writing a lot of material lately that I want to start going out with that just talks about, you know, the days of my drunken stupor. And um, I feel like he's been a big influence on, you know, wanting to talk about that and share those kinds of parts of my life. Right. Well, congratulations on that, because usually it's so much we find the opposite, right? You have the club scene at night, you're out there till two in the morning, have cocktails till four in the morning. So yeah. It's very much fun in the scene. So to realize that and be that self-aware that you need to be more clear-headed when you're starting out, I think is like amazing. So good on you. Yeah. And it was something that I felt like I needed to, it was a part of myself I felt like I needed to heal before I started doing stand-up so that... I wouldn't fall into, you know, that kind of like lifestyle because you're at clubs and bars like constantly like I'm I'm at I'm at bars like five days a week now going like more than I was even when I was drinking. And it's and I've found that like because I set kind of like my priorities and values straight, it's so easy for me to be there and not drink. And it's just like a completely different eye opening experience. And I. And I think what also gave me the confidence to do more stand-up and to really um, be more fearless was learning that I am just as funny, if not funnier, sober than I was when I was drinking. That is so great and prophetic. I mean, I've always talked about it. I have a couple of friends that I talk about what I'm doing different episodes for. And I always thought that'd be a great episode talking about addiction, recovery, and entertainment business because it's so prevalent. We heard it from young child actors back in the day, everyone to what's prevalent out there. So that's great. We'll have to have you back when I have that kind of a forum. I'd love to have that kind of forum. Yeah, definitely. Awesome blossom. And talk about now what... Every show doesn't go great. What's the biggest comedy lesson you've learned from maybe something that didn't go right on stage? I think uh, I once did a like five minute set about screenwriting and being. Um, so I thought the story was funny. I told a story about how I was an uncredited writer at a movie premiere and how like they didn't let me touch the red carpet, how I was so delusional. I got my hair done, got my suit ready and everything. And I thought like, oh my God, it's going to be like amazing. And then you walk out there and they're like, who the hell are you? Go take your seat. And just like the whole experience of like how I got invited to the after party and I was the first one to show up because apparently there was a before party that no one told me about because they didn't want me there. <laughs> and like, and I did this entire set and the audience was like groaning. Because it was just, and I think it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, this isn't necessarily funny as it is sad. And I hadn't found yet the spin to make myself not sound bitter about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one still of those traveling jokes when you had to be there at the time, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because uh, also, like, when you're talking about, like, oh, being, like, a working screenwriter at, like, an open mic, it's just, like, oh, and complaining about how, you know, I didn't get <laughs> pampered enough. It's just like, okay, maybe that one I could save for later. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh my gosh. Too funny. 
have you found any clubs that you really resonate with? What what makes a good club for you? Do you like the the really smaller ones with the small venues? Do you like getting getting in the big rooms? What have you found you like? What's been your favorite club to play so far? Uh, I've really enjoy audiences where I can um where there's just like a bit more people it's that like energy because I feel like when I was first coming up it was like I was constantly performing to groups of like eight to ten people and sometimes up like oh if like if you read the room and like certain people just like don't find this funny like every show that I actually start um I walk up and the first thing I say in the mic is are there any gays in the audience and if it's like dead silent I'm like okay here we go like you're gonna maybe hate this and um so it's just like the sheer numbers game it helps me to feel more like I'm like oh if there's even like one or two gay guys in this audience I'll feel comfortable and I'm gonna look at them because <laughs> I'm like this is for you <laughs> oh that's great and um oh I just lost my point of thought give me one second where was I gonna go Give me one second. I love that we're pre-taping. <laughs> All right. Um, and and com comedians talk to each other and everything and kind of root each other on everything behind the scenes. Has there anyone at any of the clubs kind of given you some great advice or have you been able, with your writing background, been able to give another up-and-coming comedian maybe some good advice you thought? Yeah, so there's, I actually have a group of friends who uh, we all performed at a showcase together once and we still get together regularly, like every Monday or so. And we just kind of like run material with each other. And it's been really helpful as just like a sounding board to be able to uh, talk to them. And like, we've all like started to like understand each other's cadences and rhythms and how we perform. So um, when I have new bits and material, I will literally just read it out loud to them. And I know if like, and I also know them and their personalities well enough that I'm like, oh, if they laugh at any of this, I'm like, oh, it's funny. So I always, we always do this thing where we like record ourselves as we're like um, reading out material to each other and then can like give feedback and like listen back to it and kind of like rewrite things. And um, it's been so refreshing and we also always try to go to each other's shows too and support each other so i feel like that's right. been you know the biggest um help is you know having that like support because i also find that when um i go to a lot of open mics and different shows um everyone's so supportive and everyone knows how like one terrifying it is to do stand up because you're just like vulnerable standing there and two how hard it is to actually um, get together material and be funny. So when you are, I feel like um, people have been very, very supportive and I haven't felt much of like a competitive edge or anything like that, like I would have assumed, um, which has been really refreshing. I love that. And it's so smart to record those things because you may get words of wisdom you never even thought of and then can remember half hour later if you have my kind of memory. So. I think oh, that's yeah. great that you record those. <laughs> I actually try to record even just like on voice, voice memos, any open mic that I do or anything and um, listen back to it uh, later that night. And sometimes I'll like, you know, just kind of like, um, like I'll have a joke written out. And then when I say it, I just say different words in a different cadence that is more natural. So then I'll go back and rewrite that down. So I remember like the cadence of like, oh, when I naturally said this joke, it was funnier in this way. 
um and being able to like have that like then prepared and written down on like i keep like a primary document of like oh my jokes and how i've like worded them and which wordings i know work so then like months later i'll be like oh what was i performing before i'm like oh yeah that's funny i'll do that again and just try it out and build off of it i love a smart working comedian um of course i love joan rivers i've been able to get very good friends um with tony who was one of her writers yeah and uh he was able to get one of her cards because she kept everything, you know, on index cards. Yeah, so like I said, exactly. That's um, that was one of Tony's prized possessions was to get one of the. Uh, Melissa gave him one of Joan's cards, and it's like I just love a smart-thinking person's comedy like that. So good on you. That is great. Oh yeah, I always grew up. I always loved all the like broads when I was growing up. All I would ever listen to was like Kathy Griffin and Joan Rivers. And I remember being like 13 years old and just listening to Kathy do bits about Celine Dion. And I was just like, oh my God, I love this woman. <laughs> I was like, I want to do that. I hear you. Well, and talk about, I mean, let's go into the social media bit about now. I mean, you got Matt Reif, who's been blowing up for the last couple of years, and his social media is all taken a whole line of life its own. You had, like I said, your dad, your comment on your dad being a cop and not really understanding that you were gay. I think it's got like 230,000 views. Um, talk about the social media now. Are you able to just kind of let it go or do you have to think that way now? Do you have to think social media or do you try to let it be just a byproduct? Uh, I consider it more in how I kind of write and perform bits but um, the thing that's actually helped me the most is when I edit together some of those clips is, you know, they put captions on there and you see the words actually spelled out coming out of your mouth and you see like your punchlines and you're editing it down. And usually I, if I try to post something, I'll try to keep it to like 20 seconds. And if anything, it's helped me inform my writing to be a funnier stand-up comedian, not just for social media, but also for like an audience because... I now know that I'm like, oh, there's a lot of fluff in there that you can just like scrape out and like get to the jokes quicker and get people laughing faster without all this setup that really you don't need. Because anytime I end up trimming stuff on videos that I put up, it's always just stuff at the beginning where I'm like, oh, if you kind of get right into it and just go, you um, right. have like an audience and you have their attention like way quicker from the start. Very, very cool. All right, well, we got to start wrapping it up now. I mean, you played at... Uh, the Comedy Chateau, just this last week, you have a show coming up uh, September 28th, I think. Um, talk about these upcoming shows and where can people find you on social media and uh, your TikTok and Instagram? Yeah, so you could find me uh, at Mikey Montemayor on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, on Instagram, I also link all of my shows there. Uh, I have an upcoming show this uh, uh the end of September, uh, I will be performing at the Ice House in Pasadena. So Ooh, I'm excited. I love the Ice House. Yeah, I've never performed there yet. So um, I'm excited for that. And I think I will be having a show in October at the Comedy Store. I'm finally making my way around doing my booking. So I'm excited for um, that one to pan out. And um, yeah, and then I regularly do shows at the Comedy Chateau. So I have one coming up this weekend. And I Try to perform there. I find that to be um, a really welcoming venue. Uh, so I've been uh, going there, you know, once every couple of weeks to just try out material and, you know, see what works. 
That's great. Well, I've been so excited to get to know you. We definitely have to have you come back. Um, I'm looking forward to these uh, television and movie projects as well. So yeah, me congratulations too. on a great career ahead of you, my friend. Yeah, thanks. I can't wait for the writer's strike to end. <laughs> Be nice, right? I have so many good friends of both writers and actors from doing this show that it's uh, it's been kind of devastating just for the talent. I'm, yeah. We're in September when normally we have like, the new season of everything and who knows what we're going to see, right? I know. Yeah. That's why I've just, you know, the only thing I think about now is stand up because I'm like, oh, that's so, all I can control right now. So, <laughs> so for and the time, your social media? remind me your social media handle again. Uh, at Mikey Montemayor. Super duper. Well, congratulations on the upcoming wedding. I'm looking forward to keeping in touch and getting you back on the show. Mikey Montemayor, thanks for being on the Left to Straight show. Thank you. All right. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we'll be back uh, with another interview. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, every Thursday and Friday, we have fantastic interviews. And always look for five questions with. This coming Tuesday, we'll have the five questions with segment with Mikey. So be sure to look for that next week. We appreciate you tuning in to the Left of Straight show. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Left of Straight show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.